you are totally awesome. Welcome to your Totally Awesome, a podcast devoted to catching up with some of the amazing people around us and finding out what they've been up to lately. My name's Aaron, and today we're joined by Mars expert and pla- overall planetary expert, Lee Safer. Thanks for joining us today, yeah, Thanks for having me here. Of course. So, exactly, you, you just finished your thesis on, on Mars, the general topic of Mars, but more, there's more specifics there. It gets pretty technical. Um, but yourself, I mean, uh, you, you've done a lot of research on Mars. Um, can you tell us maybe just a little bit about your various research and kind of the high-level stuff that you've been uh, you've been doing? Right. So, um, yeah, I've been involved in Mars exploration research now for around two years. And um, basically, my research focuses on how we can use Mars as a sort of uh, planetary experiment and how the geology on Mars might have changed over time, especially in its earliest history. And um, not only is that important for learning about Mars for the sake of learning about Mars, right. but... Um, we can also uh, use observations of Mars to reflect on Earth's earliest history where the record is pretty incomplete. Right. So, um, I mean, sort of a, an overarching uh, uh, sort of goal is, is to say, well, we know that much of the surface of Mars is extremely ancient, older than 3 billion years, but mu- much of the Earth's surface is much younger than that, basically younger than 2 billion years. And so by looking at early processes on Mars, it can reflect on um, how those things were operating on Earth, and that's relevant not only for a geologist, but also for any human, because uh, we know that life took a foothold on Earth during this critical early period, and if Earth and Mars were formed around the same time, they might have had similar processes that were operating. So, right, so essentially, um, you know, I feel like humans have been asking themselves as soon as from for as long as we can think that, about this question, where did we come from? Right. Are we alone? How did we get here? And we're entering a really crucial time in human history where we can use science to begin to actually address those questions. And so we can look to the other planets to understand why the conditions on Earth led to life as we know right. today. Right. And so, what exactly are you finding with Mars in, in particular? Right. So um, we NASA. We, but NASA has. Uh, You're in there. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm associated. So, but NASA, since the 70s, has sent satellites and uh, landers to Mars to understand this this question of what it, of how it operated in the past. And from very early on, um, it became clear that there was water flowing on the surface of Mars, and that water was really important in the uh, evolution of the planet. And because we think that life um, requires water in some way, this was right. a very exciting thing. So what we're finding on Mars now is that there were uh, sort of rivers and lakes in, in impact craters that were yeah. sitting there on the surface of Mars for probably short periods of time, but there was standing water on the surface of Mars at some point. Um, but my research actually focused on what was happening in the subsurface uh, because recent evidence has shown that while we do see really spectacular evidence for you know, flowing rivers right. and, and lakes and such, and possibly even oceans on the surface of really? Mars. The yeah. idea is that these probably were only um, stable for relatively short periods of time, and that most of the water activity was happening in the subsurface. And so if we're thinking about where life might have uh, been on the surface of Mars, or possibly currently still is today, uh, I, my, my personal thought is that you're more likely to find it in the subsurface, in the subsurface where you're shielded from radiation and, fr- and where um, water activity was was high relative to these other um, reservoirs, which would be right. the atmosphere and the surface itself. That's so interesting. And okay, so 
possibility for life is, is in the subsurface, really. I think so. And there, there have been, um, there's been a series of, actually, of recent publications that use compositional information from Mars, uh, as well as sort of integrating the research over the last 40 years of Mars exploration that suggests that the subsurface biosphere is the most viable. Well, what is the subsurface exactly? So, right, so the subsurface is anything that isn't on the outer shell of, the, okay. of Mars. So, you know, when we're thinking about, well, where life would be in the subsurface, it would be sort of living in the rocks, in fractures and cracks in the rock. And these, I mean, there are bacteria on Earth that are able to metabolize just the elements in the, in the, in the rocks around them. Right. And if there's a little bit of water there, they can get by for long periods of time. Right, right. Not necessarily on the lakes or the, on, the, on the exact surface, but just in those creeks and, or those little creeks and, and nooks and crannies. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, and it's possible that there was life uh, in, in these surface reservoirs, but I think it would be um, much more likely that it was more likely and more active in, in the subsurface. Okay. And that's what, that's sort of overarching thing for what my thesis focus on, focuses on and yeah. also sort of where um, Mars exploration is leaning towards right. these days. So we're looking for life on Mars, essentially, with the research and everything. That's pretty yeah. cool. It's about it's, it's one paragraph at the end of my thesis, but, but uh, it's it's sort of I mean NASA's whole um, Mars exploration program is based on this idea of follow the water. Right. And so now, after around twenty years of, of, of following this objective, we can now really pinpoint exact locations on on the surface of Mars where. There was intense water activity, right. and these are the things, places that are of uh, most in in intense interest uh, for exploration That's purposes. So cool. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we said NASA, and we said we. Lee has had Lee, Lee got a grant right last last summer to to study some of this stuff from NASA. So. That's why we said we, but we've also worked in, in other capacities for Mars, right? Yeah, so I started, my first foray into space exploration research was um, a summer internship at SETI, which is the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And um, so SETI is sort of famous for li looking up at the skies, it was crazy crazy for signals and oh, cool. crazy people, but there's a whole suite of uh, sort of fundamental research that goes along with it. And um, so I was involved with... Um, we, we currently have a, a rover that's en route to Mars. It's going to land in less than 100 days. Cross your fingers. Nice. And um, so I is that a third rover? So fourth. it's the fourth okay. rover, but there's also been landers. But it's the most okay. capable rover that we've ever sent to, to Mars. Mars. Okay. And so um, my first foray into the research was sort of understanding um, from these four finalist landing sites which one would be the best place to go send it. And right. so that was my, my first sort of jumping, uh, my first um, experience with, with this type of research was thinking very conceptually, was how can we use the geology to tell us where the best science can be done when we land there on the surface. Right. And so that was, that got me really excited, uh, really into this type of research. It's, so to give a high level thing there, Lee basically, Lee was instrumental in deciding where the rover landed in Mars, which is incredible. Although, or, or deciding where it didn't go. But you need one of those two. There were four finalists. There were four places. So you process elimination. You helped in, in determining where this rover would land in Mars. This one, yeah. this fourth rover that we've ever had in, on and, Mars. And I came, in, came at the end of the process, but in a sort of critical time where um, these maps that I made of the surface were used to um, present to people people higher up in NASA were yeah. making the real decisions and, you know, was a, a small little contribution but to still, that process. still, that's pretty incredible. It is really cool. So yeah. that, that was really empowering, yeah. really exciting. And then from there, I um, took a course here at Brown, a, a graduate seminar about water cycles on Mars, okay. and that sort of framed um, my understanding of, of 
of water on Mars, and then it was able to sort of identify a specific research topic, which came, which, which, yeah, turned into my thesis. Did you come in as a as a geo major, or did you when you came into Brown? Did you have interest in Mars, or, did, or not just even planetary? No, <laughs> the answer is what was your definitively no. I I came in with an interest in chemistry, okay, but also um, I had done some re science research in biology okay. uh, in high school. I didn't really like it, and so I spent most of my freshman year um, thinking I was interested in. Photography, wow. in economics, and entrepreneurship. Lee's also in the jazz band, so he's really into music. And, and but I'm not into economics anymore. Not into economics anymore. Really, you're into, into more important things, I would say. But just all over the place, Lee was doing some cool stuff. And then sophomore year is when things settled down. Actually, what? it's sort of a crucial moment. Uh, it's funny you bring up jazz band, because in the spring of my freshman year, uh, the jazz band had an opportunity to go to Reykjavik, Iceland, to oh, tour wow. for a week over spring break. And I'd always been interested in geology, but wasn't really sure that it's what I wanted to study. But we went to Iceland, and this was sort of a, a, a formative experience in my um, in figuring out what I wanted to do because the geology there is just spectacular. It's, it's an unbelievable landscape, and I was just overwhelmed not only by the beauty but by the power of the processes that we were seeing—just volcanoes, right. and glaciers, and all these really cool things. And I came back, sort of already not realizing I wasn't really happy with where I was in my studies so, and deciding that I wanted to go pursue this. And, and that's, that's sort so of, cool. yeah, it's sort of a roundabout way of, of coming to this conclusion. But I came out of that with this idea that, you know, I, I want to get back into the physical sciences. I want to get my hands dirty with some research and I want to really start um, learning literally dirty, <laughs> literally <laughs> dirt on my hands yes. and trying to figure out um, more about how the earth works. Right, right, right. And then from there, the other planets and whatnot. Right. So I, I think the, the big question probably on everyone's mind is, what do you, how, do you, okay, a couple questions. What is your thought, what are your thoughts on, on life in, outside of Earth? And then two, you know, how close are we to being on Mars? Right. So um, those are loaded yeah, questions. Yeah, um, I, I think that, well, like I said before, I, I think sort of from a, a first order um, result from look, going to other planets is, taking each one as a sort of uh, planetary experiment, planetary scale experiment, and using that to compare to the Earth, which is our, our best constrained data, because we live here, yeah. we can go and touch things and see things. Yeah. And so um, for the life question, um, well, first, uh, I think it's important not, I think it's first to look internally on, at the Earth and, and think about the place that we know, data point number one, yeah. there is life here. Mm -hmm. And so by looking at a place like Venus, which is, extremely hot, it's a little closer to the sun, but it's about the same size of Earth. Uh, and Venus experienced global warming, climate change, and a run, runaway like greenhouse, which made it really hot, and there's no life on Venus right. today. And Mars is on the other side of Earth, and it today is extremely cold, and probably there's no life on the surface there. And so, um, so, the, so the, sort of to the first order, we can begin to understand, well, why, what about Earth's position in the solar system the budget on, of water and the geology, how did that lead to the conditions that have sustained life and allow us to be here today? Right. So that's sort of, I think that's the most uh, sort of um, uh, like clear approach to understanding this life question. Now, uh, places that have water and sustain energy, these are places in the solar system that we think also might have been able to harbor life at some point. Mm -hmm. And so my personal opinion is that there probably was life on Mars uh, it, at, some it, it, at some point, probably most likely in its earliest history, when it still had an atmosphere, 
when it still had a magnetosphere, which shields the planet from solar radiation that could basically destroy DNA. And that, um, and because we, we know that Earth and Mars formed from similar materials at the same time, you could, you know, begin to, you could infer that perhaps when life was just beginning to take hold on Earth, it was also taking hold on Mars, right. but that for some reason Mars got cold and it's no longer as active as Earth is today. Mm -hmm. And so a big question is, well, is there preserved evidence for this? And that's what we're looking at in this Mars exploration research. Right. This new rover is going to a crater to understand, well, could it have been, was the chemistry there um, to conducive to, to, have, to having life? Right. And, uh, and then if not, you know, everyone focuses on the idea of, well, we want to find life. But I think it's equally as profound to um, come away with the negative result. And, you know, there might be a certain point where we say, well, the evidence suggests that there probably wasn't life. And then it really um, puts sort of the focus back on Earth and saying, well, one, wh what were the conditions here that enabled life to, to sustain itself? And also now do we have an ethical responsibility to the rest of the solar system or an increased responsibility to preserving life on Earth because... If it's extremely rare, that to my in my understanding of economics increases its value, and so um, I think there's sort of a you know not not to say if we found life elsewhere that we could just start you know destroying things right. on Earth, but I think it sort of puts that the idea of Carl Sagan of the pale blue dot and sort of the fragility of Earth uh, it amplifies that right. idea because you know while there might have there might have been life in the past, it's probably pretty rare. Currently, and um, on a planetary scale, that's uh, you know every little bit of life on Earth is that much more important. Right. So it's, it plays into the environmental uh, sustainability people as well, obviously. This yeah, and it also plays into this idea of well, um, at some point we might have to leave the Earth as yeah. a race, as a human race. Uh, there might be a point where we want to begin to move up, move beyond the Earth and start to inhabit other places in space. To uh, you know, if we have the knowledge and technology, this would might help us um, sort of persevere for a long time. And it's sort of an outlandish idea, and you know, it does seem a little crazy. Except that there are people who are really thinking about these things in the extreme long term and saying, "Well, if we want to be responsible, and if we can't be responsible with taking care of the Earth itself, we might actually have to begin to move to other other yeah. places." It sounds like a movie, but it does sound like a movie. But it's it's interesting because you know we talk about NASA, and I don't want to say anything bad about NASA, except that. It's not that. It's just uh, a distinction is that a lot of the funding doesn't really focus on the science. The science part of it mm. is a relatively small aspect of it. Mo a lot of the funding is going towards human exploration. And this is with driven by uh, this idea that, well, perhaps we might have to go there with people at some point. Right. Um, and um, so that, that's really what drives a lot of the funding. Right. And, the, and the science is kind of secondary, although it, it certainly... Um, it certainly informs the type of, um, you know, it allows us to know what the conditions are like if we were to go and send humans there. And so your second question was, well, are we going to go there soon? And the question is, we are there right now, and we're sending a rover there. I mean, you know, it's robotic exploration versus human exploration is a pretty testy uh, subject within the NASA community. Right. Um, but I, I would urge people to think about it um, in a slightly different way. Yes, while we're sending robots to go uh, look at the surface of Mars. And they're not making decisions on their own. Right. There are people sitting in rooms so that are making these yeah. decisions. And, you know, when I go and look at data, I am on this, I'm looking at the surface of Mars, right. although I'm obviously not physically there. I, I, I am in a way. There's human presence right, there. Right. So we don't necessarily even need to send 
humans there, although uh, symbolically that means right. a lot. Um, so, I mean, in my opinion, we will probably send humans either to the moon or to an asteroid before we send them to Mars. Right. And that there is a goal to send humans to Mars by around 2030, but who knows if that's going to happen. Wow, that's, that's relatively soon. It's, it's relatively it's soon, relatively soon yeah. but, uh, you know, people are, 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 try, are really trying to push that because, uh, again, it, it's, it's not only useful for this broad understanding of life and these yeah. sort of great big questions, but also about, you know, we look at the uh, Apollo era and how that sort of invoked this huge revolution and interest in science right. within the United States and this drove a huge amount of innovation. And so... Um, a big part of the space exploration research is um, from a public relations standpoint. How how does this get children and students excited about right, science right. in general, and how that might um, sort of fe- uh, form the foundation for the next generation of yeah. people who will you know take the science and move it There's beyond where we ever thought. Yeah, there is a there is a big social impact, and I think it's, that's something that gets overlooked right. when Congress is determining. How much money to, 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 to put here and there. So, okay, so 2030, what, what's your hand going to be in that? What, what are, we're graduating this year. Are you, are you going to go off and, and continue to pursue this, this research yeah. going forward? So, um, yeah, the plan is to, to keep doing uh, geolo- geology research and, um, and, and relating that to planetary science. Okay. And I think that um, uh, actually things like my thesis might be important um, when... Um, not, not so much in, from the human exploration side, but um, in determining where to send future missions, not to not only look for places that um, have the biggest, have the best potential to preserve and concentrate right. organic materials, but also places on the most ancient places on Mars that had sustained water uh, flowing with energy source for an extended period of time. That these might be the places to go look, look for life. So going moving forward. Um, I'm probably going to go and look at this question a little bit more in detail, and be, because of the quality of the um, data that we have now, um, we might be able, we're actually now for the first time able with this rover to pinpoint small places, you know, locations on Mars as big as the, si- as the city of Providence itself right. that really have high potential to um, not only learn a lot about Mars' early history, but also for this poten- habitability right. potential. So I think that um, I, I see myself being involved in, um, again, sort of uh, pushing this subsurface biosphere idea and, again, and trying to figure out how we can use our current data sets rather than relying on the next best thing to, um, to, to, again, pinpoint these places that right. might be the most interesting to go check out. So are you pursuing like a PhD or is this a... So, yeah, I'm going to be... I'm graduating and yeah. I'm going to do a little bit of traveling uh-huh. and um, I'm going to spend next year following up on some research that's sort of uh, some loose threads that are still hanging from, from, from my thesis and some other unrelated uh, projects. And so in the fall, I will be applying to uh, PhD programs okay. to... Uh, Someone's going to be very lucky to have you, man. Someone will have me. Yeah, um, and, and I will be... Um, so you're going to take yeah. a year off then? So, yeah, I'm going to take... The, yeah, my plan is to take this year off and sort of, um, you know, figure out exactly where I want to start right. specializing and, and the right fit for, um, for, for, grad for, for grad school for me. And so that, yeah, and then that, you know, the PhD really allows you to focus in on, on a specific. That's so topic. cool. Yeah. And it'll probably be somewhere related to Mars, I guess. I think so. 
Awesome. I think Mars is a really good place to. I, I would agree. I agree. Twenty thirty, man. Twenty thirty. Hopefully, be there. Anyways, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having absolutely me. Absolutely fascinating stuff. So everyone, be on the lookout for Lee. He's gonna be doing some pretty crazy stuff with uh, with Mars and whatnot, obviously. And um, we'll link up some some of the high the the more technical stuff maybe on the on the blog post if anyone's interested. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.